You're listening to the Sunday Times Education Festival Radio Show with Russell Prue. And my next guest joining me live on the telephone on today's show is Graham Brown Martin. Let me tell you something about him. He's a formerly founder of Learning Without Frontiers. Brilliant set of conferences. I have enjoyed speaking there myself, I have to say. He's now a writer, designer and broadcaster at Education Design Labs. Widely regarded, and this is my favourite bit, Graham, widely regarded as a left-wing troublemaker well welcome to the show troublemaker how's it going with you oh it's going very well actually russell um i've just finished um a bit of a world tour actually i having um built up learning without frontiers and, mm. and leaving that organization which i ran uh, very successfully for eight years i, I left uh, the organization at the beginning of 2013 mm-hmm. Um, and was then uh, quite soon after commissioned by the Qatar Foundation uh, as part of the World Innovation Summit for Education mm. to, um, pr- to direct, uh, write and produce um, a book and multimedia film project uh, called Learning Reimagined. And so um, I got back to the UK uh, just before Christmas mm-hmm. uh, of last year, um, visited 18 uh, different countries on on six different continents. Mm. Um, we met some just the most amazing people. I mean, some well known names, of course, uh, for interviews for the book, like Noam Chomsky and uh, Sir Ken Robinson, uh, Mitch Resnick from MIT. Mm. Uh, th- th- you know, some of those sort of well known names, but also some quite amazing, un- you know, lesser known practitioners. Um, people actually at the coalface in so many different circumstances in different countries. You know, I'd find myself on, on one day um, on the Syrian border just while uh, the U.S. were considering uh, firing missiles into Damascus, uh, you know, but in a refugee camp, one of the world's largest ones, looking at how you uh, provide education uh, in those circumstances. Um, and then a week later, I'd be in the offices of Google in Silicon Valley. So there was this... Because we were traveling so fast, it was myself and a camera crew um, through so many countries. Uh, I mean, we, we, obviously, if we just went to a country, we wouldn't just stay one city. We were moving around a lot. Mm. Um, so we're way out in rural China at the earthquake zone. There was a very large earthquake, you may recall, last April. So mm. we were there looking at crisis response schools uh, way out in the mountains. Wow. Uh, likewise, in India, one of the most amazing multi, uh, sort of mobile learning projects that's for healthcare workers that work out in the, uh, very rural India, out in Bihar. Um, and then, you know, whizzing around the UK, talking to Siddhartha Mitra, uh, Kerry Facer, um, looking at Raspberry Pi, and, and all these kinds of things. And, and, and you know, we, we've been to some pretty amazing places. And since I've been back, I've been um, unpacking all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, the book so far stands at a fairly hefty 120,000 words. Wow. Um, but supported with, I mean, just beautiful, beautiful photographs uh, from Nusha Tavakolian, mm. uh, who is Iran's uh, probably most acclaimed young photographer. Uh, she lives in Tehran, uh, uh, she, she, but she, she uh, does a lot of photography in that region. Um, and is this amazing photographer. She has an exhibition at the moment at Somerset House um, and other parts of the world. And so that was a, a real honor to be, to be um, working with her as well as, a, as my director of photography. Plus, we had a video crew as well. So it's a, a fairly, it will be a fairly substantial uh, piece of work, actually. And it's sort of, 
part travel log, um, part sort of uh, research. I mean, I, I, I like to people ask, well, what's it going to be like? And I think my best answer is sort of Carl Pilkington um, meets Michael Palin. Um, any of those that have read my writings or heard me speak knows I'm, you know, quite confrontational. Hmm. Uh, conversational, sorry, confrontational. No, no, I say confrontational, Graham. Sometimes, sometimes no, confrontational, no. but usually conversational. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm not an academic. Um, but, I, you know, I, I have a view. But, I, you know, this was, for me, I guess this was my PhD, really. This was the, the opportunity to go around uh, and take the sort of Western perspective. You know, I think that despite how, you know, as much as you might try to be global in your vision, mm. you know, it, it's not when you're sitting in a, in, a, in a, you know, whether it's like out of, we went out in, in West Africa in Ghana or, or, you know, wherever you are, I think you just you suddenly realise things aren't, you know, it's not about giving every kid an iPad and we're done. It's not about Khan Academy. It, you know what I mean? It's so much more complex than that. Um, and there's far more... Uh, to teaching um, than, than technology. And I think that um, the book is, is about technology and about the impact on society and education and, and, and uh, learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I came away with in the end was something that was much more about the social, cultural uh, and, and, and other contexts in which we're talking about learning and therefore the role of technology in that. So it's not one of those... You know, you and I have a very similar, share a similar background. Hmm. It's not one of those books, and we've got loads of them, haven't we? We have. Um, that, that evangelize technology and say, you know, uh, it's a silver bullet. It's going to solve everything. I mean, there is this whole sort of Silicon Valley solutionist uh, approach that we can, we can just fix education by giving kids loads of computers and giving them content and learning analytics. And I think as Matthew Hancock, MP, the skills minister, said, um, you know, just over a year ago, the, the teachers can stand back from the teaching now. They can, the computers can impart knowledge and the teachers can do that, I don't know, human stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I think is what he said. Um, and that, of course, is absolute nonsense. Um, and I think what I've discovered uh, by actually going out there and, and visiting so many different kinds of schools and mm-hmm. teachers and universities and, and thinkers, um, I mean, it's just been the most exciting time of my life. Um, and I've learned so much and I'm so grateful, um, to the people that gave me their time, um, and also the people that had the confidence to let me go out and do it. Um, which I think they must be mad really, but it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So that's kind of in a nutshell what I'm going to be talking about, um, at the, uh, at the education festival, uh, when I to college. Absolutely brilliant. I'm interested to draw out, um, your, you touched on it there with your background as well having been involved in technology as long as technology has been mainstream those are my memories of you way back in 1985 um do you think that that has had a major impact on your views now having been through it with the history and having such a good grounding yeah i mean i think i think it has really i mean i I, you know i i i you know, my first proper job was working for the Open University um, in, in the, you know, like 1980 or something, very mm. early mm. in the 80s, um, and uh, working on the micros in schools scheme, um, which <laughs> your listeners would have to be very old indeed to remember that. But that was a time when we decided, the, the UK decided it would put computers in schools. Sure. And it was RML, as it was called those days, or RM now, when they used to make computers, um, Acorn and Sinclair, mm-hmm. uh, you know, BBC Micro and so on. And, 
you know, I, I, I at W University was writing because uh, I'd, I'd come from uh, writing computer games, and so I came into the Open University thinking, oh well, we should write, we should do computer games in the in the eighties for mm-hmm. education, which which thought people thought. I mean, bearing in mind this wasn't really the kind of computer games that you see today, but it was yeah. the idea of making it entertaining and engaging. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was a sense, and I actually then after you know very soon after that joined RM. Um, you know, where they were making 380Zs. It was just as they just, you know, started making these big, enormous boxes. Um, and I think there was a sense then um, that computers were going to have this profound impact on learning uh, and, and on how we learn and how it would change things. And there were sort of two strands of that. One, of course, was the, you know, the technical skills. I mean, there was, I remember when I was at RM in sort of early 80s and, you know, we'd be shipping out these big, uh, black boxes, uh, but with things like Pascal and Modular 2 and COBOL, mm-hmm. um, BASIC, and all these programming languages. So it was a given that young kids would program. Uh, but there were also a lot of um, you know, applications. I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, we used to hear a lot about apps and stuff like that these days, but I mean, it has been around for a while. Um, and and it actually not, there's not much new, apart from, obviously, we'll come to it later, the sort of the, the, how you connect all these things together with the Internet. Mm. But we also, so there was sort of applications, um, you know, we used to use things called WordStar and stuff like that. But there was, there was this whole kind of this sort of computer-based uh, learning mm. model um, that was emerging. And there were some really interesting people, and some of those people, uh, you know, I remember a chap called Bill Tagg, who is no longer with us, who mm. was very sort of inspirational. I, I got to meet Seymour Papert at that time when we were promoting things like Logo mm. and so forth. And so there was this real sense, I think, just in microcomputing in general, that they were going to be this extremely liberating force and, and, and nothing would ever be the same again. And, and, and education would go through this sort of transformation. And I remember in the, in the early days of RM running around the country in cars with salespeople and so on. And do, I was a sort of the, the, the gobby sort of tech kind of guy that would just say how it all worked and show people these amazing demos and all that kind of stuff. A bit like yourself, Russell. And, um, you know, we, there was that belief. And I think that, I suppose, 30 years later, um, you know, I, I, think, I think I've got, I, sort of, I don't know, it, it, I think it's, it, it, it hasn't happened in the way we imagined. Um, you know, I think we're still waiting for that kind of thing. And, you know, 30, it sort of coincides my, my time in this area with like things like BET, hmm. uh, that, you know, which, is, which is a lovely, fantastic kind of place to go and meet all your friends. Um, but it's still sort of, you know, it, it's huge. But I'm still wondering, OK, there's all this stuff, all this stuff being bought. And, and, and we keep hearing this stuff. We keep getting excited. But I think we don't seem to sort of have this sudden breakthrough where no. things are transformed. And I think that was the sort of crux of why I was sent on this journey hmm. by the Qatar Foundation. Uh, to find out what had happened and, and, and why that might have happened. Um, and I think there's, 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 there's lots of reasons, really. I think that, you know, yes, we have got lots, you know, I mean, look at it, look at what we have today. You know, kids have got, like, you know, computers which are sort of, I don't know, maybe 100 or maybe even more times faster than the kind of computers that we were pushing around in the 80s um, in, their, in their pockets. Um, and we don't have that kind of liftoff moment in terms of, of, yeah. of, of technology. And I think that there's a sort of a, a parallel to what's happening with uh, technology outside of um, education. Because we've talked a lot, you know, historically, I mean, the, the big talk sort of earlier this century was disruption and how technology had disrupted 
um, other industries, other sectors. You know, mm. sort of, sort of Amazon, how Amazon, you know, I could order a book now and it would arrive tomorrow and, and, and all those kinds of things. And the music industry had been disrupted. But it, I'm not sure that that was absolutely right. And, and I think that I was one of the people that was saying a lot of that, you know, to be honest. Um, mm. And I think, well, actually, the music industry, because I, I, as you may recall, I, I left the, the, the education sector, joined the music industry. And was the chap that sat up, stood up in the 1994 at the Medem Festival, which is a massive music conference. And in front of all these kind of, you know, chairman and CEOs of record labels told them that they were screwed, mm. uh, which didn't go down terribly well and, and, and so forth. But actually, when I look at it, actually, yes, the music industry has changed, but it's still the same business. People still buy music, but in different ways and so forth. Mm. Um, but what, what has sort of, you know, so there has been a sort of that disruption, but we have, we're also now looking at the human issues because... Yeah. You know, we know, for example, how Amazon, you know, it's, it's forced businesses out of, you know, retail, for example. Um, you know, this whole shift from the physical to the digital economy seems to have concentrated wealth uh, to a ever smaller number of organizations and individuals. And I think, you know, we haven't really looked at what the social issues are around those. Um, and I think also if we look at, you know, the recent sort of revelations over the last few years about how... Um, our technology is being used as surveillance, um, I think is also a, a concern. So this technology, which all of us, I think, in the 80s was about liberating, mm -hmm. it's now appearing to be something which is um, enslaving, maybe an overly dramatic word, mm -hmm. uh, but I can't think of a better one at the moment. No. And I think that the reason why I draw this tangent back to education is because we, we also now have this whole sense that, um, you know, with things like big data, I mean, people are very much sort of getting into a sort of almost fetish-like uh, state about mm. big data mm. in the belief that, you know, if, if you've just got the data, mm. uh, you can serve up whatever people actually want. And, and, of course, that's how Google and Facebook, that's their business model. I mean, the, the genius in the, those companies was that they figured out first yeah. how to monetize Web 2.0, they figured out that the currency, the oil, was huge amounts of personal data, just masses of it, mm -hmm. and then the ability to use algorithms and analytics to, to mine all that data and figure out, oh, uh, Graham has been looking at this, this, this on the internet, he must want a pizza, or, or whatever. So it's, the idea is predicting what you want next. What they failed to understand is that by, doing, by having those algorithms, those algorithms affect the outcome. So, what what, so, so the, the algorithm is constantly serving up things it thinks I want, therefore I want them. Uh, Are you with me? Yes, it, it, yes. Sort of and and it, it just appears that people haven't really figured this out. And I think that's the problem as we start looking at technology in education. So technology yes. in education, I think there's a couple of issues there. There's the... the First of all, education is a massive, powerful structure in society. Sure. It has very specific uh, functions. And I don't think that we have had a public debate about what those functions should be now uh, at this part of the century. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of knew in the 1950s because in the 1950s, it was post-war Britain. Sure. Uh, we were rebuilding it. We were getting into manufacturing. Yep. Uh, we were getting into, you know, offices, all that kind of stuff. There was fairly good understanding of what human capital needed to be delivered yes. through the economic development plan. 
Um, and of course, the OECD, which calls the shots on things like PISA, the international standards. OECD was an idea that came out of the US Marshall Plan. And the US Marshall Plan was to prevent Soviet communism spreading into Europe after the Second World War. Um, it's just interesting that, you know, it, during that time that that's been around the organization, the US GDP has increased by a factor of three. Um, so there was this whole economic, uh, and I'm not saying anything negative towards anyone there, what I'm saying is this whole economic imperative around the output of education. But of course, you know, times moved on, times have changed. Um, and Deep so, we, I mean, there's a, there's a dialogue about, okay, well, what, what's education for? You know, what, what is our, what, what, does, what do we expect, say, the British economy sure. to look like in 30 years' time? Because if we, don't, if we don't have that sort of plan, I mean, people talk about Singapore as being this uh, model um, for things like standardised tests and, and, and output uh, of, of citizens. Sure. But that's because they've had a long-term plan. It's also because they haven't changed government in 50 years. But, um, but that's given them the opportunity for this long-term plan. And we don't have that. What happens is education becomes this football, political football. Sure. Every time we have a new uh, party in power, they go away and change everything. Um, and that's a shame because mm. it, it just means that as a society, you know, we do need to have, I think, you know, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you are, where most of us are in the centre anyway, sure. we need to have a, a, a longer-range view of where we want us to be, us, all of us. You know, we have to, we have to lift this together. We do. Where do we want to be? And I think without that, we sort of lurch all over the place. And it's, you know, we, we certainly do, do, do we want to reignite manufacturing? I mean, there is this sort of sense that the future is a place that already exists, but it doesn't. We decide. It's this idea that technology determines everything is nonsense or the economy determines everything is nonsense. Sure. It's we as a, as a society decide. You know, it's about when, you know, when we hear parents say, um, I want my child to get these good grades. We take that literally and we think, okay, we've got to get them through these good grades. And the, what, that, that's not what they're really saying. What they're saying is, is I want my child to be happy, successful, and, and be able to support themselves as a productive citizen. Now, of course, parents aren't going to say that, are they, in those words? But it boils down to this. And so we get to this point where we think, with technology, what we could do is just sort of sit kids in front of, uh, of computers. And as the skills minister suggested, um, you know, they can, you know they, the teacher can stand back from imparting knowledge. Sure. Um, and then the computer could do the rest. And the computer could then use analytics to work out where the child's having trouble and, and feed them more. Because the, uh, the purpose, the output then, is for kids to pass a test. So the computer could then just, just, just yeah. keep feeding it into But the reality of that, of course, is it loses... It's a reductionist approach to learning. It loses all the essence of what learning is about. And what I've noticed, having been to, you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole planet, um, is that regardless of technology, what works the most, not just in terms of the tests at the end of the, 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 the year, sure. uh, but the on, you know, where, what happens to the kids next and what happens within the building during the, 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 the time when they're not doing exams, is the environment is important. Engagement of the student, actually being engaged, being, you know, like they say, in flow yes. at the moment, and engaged teachers. Now, that doesn't mean that the teacher has to be the person at the front constantly just broadcasting stuff. 
Yep. Uh, yes, the role of the teacher is certainly changing. It also means that it, the technology doesn't have to be sort of, you know, it, the best schools that I found was where the technology, of course, was there. Yes. But it was just not a big deal. It wasn't, there was no policy about using smartphones or iPads or tablets. Or, it was just expected to be there. Yes. It wasn't a big deal. It was just part of working out how you solve problems. And where you saw, you know, and what that allowed was the curriculum to, uh, if you like, mer- sort of merge and de-silo. Yes. So you wouldn't have these, right, we're doing maths now, we're doing Spanish now. I went to one school in San Diego high-tech high, and a guy there, Larry Rosenstock, who's mm-hmm. just, just a mentalist in the most poss- best possible way. Fantastic. I would send my kids there in a snap. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. And, absolutely brilliant. And, you know, there you would have the Spanish teachers working with the maths teachers, working with the science teachers on a, on a lesson, you know I mean, where these things would combine. And so the, the best schools were the ones where, you know, classrooms were visible but it was very difficult to work out where they ended and common areas started sure uh, it's more like a you know those schools were more like a design shop that you would find in shoreditch yes um or or, or in, like I, I went to see ideo uh in san francisco and it's sort of warehousey sprawling interior space there are sort of private spaces and rooms but it's it's the, there's a sort of flow between them and when you see kids growing up in those environments and collaborating. I mean, just naturally, not kind of, oh, let's collaborate, kids. Just, that's just the natural, that's, that's the default state. You realize those kids are, you know, their expectation, and these were in state schools. These yes. were in, you know, this was, uh, you know, without, you know, Wellington College, I think it's beautiful, wonderful. But if I had the choice between sending my kids to Wellington College or to High Tech High, I would choose High Tech High. Um, and because, but I think both of them share something in that a child coming out of Wellington College or a child coming out of High Tech High is not expected to uh, work in uh, a manufacturing job, in a production line type job, uh, and so forth. And I'm not trying to set a, a, a sort of hierarchy that, that's beneath them, but they are coming out expecting to do uh, design things, to run things, to be entrepreneurial, and so forth. And this does beg questions. It, it begs powerful society questions about then, you know, if we're saying that those kinds of schools, if we're saying that Wellington College and High Tech High are outputting leaders and, and, and young people who are going to go on to, 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 to make things and not want to work in uh, shop floor or retail or, or manufacturing... Are we then saying there are schools that are going to output um, those kinds of people? And if they are, um, then what is it that they're not doing in order to make that happen, if you know what I mean? So Brilliant. It, raise, you know, it, it raises many questions as it answers. Brilliant. Uh, Graham, I'm really, because I'm, I listen to you all day, but I really have to get on. You need to, <laughs> look, rule one, leave the audience wanting more. And from that, uh, you've just come at 20 and so minutes uh, listening. You've really engaged me. And that's always a good measure. Listeners, if you want to follow Graham on Twitter, he is Graham BM, at Graham BM. He's a prolific uh, Twitter, 27,000 tweets to date. He's really cooking on gas and has a good following. Graham, I'm so looking forward to your presentation presentation at the sunday times festival and thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us in great detail today and i wish you very best of luck thanks very much and sir you are a troublemaker and i love you (laughs) thank you very much russell 
This is the Sunday Times Education Festival Radio Show. Powered by Anderton Tiger Broadcasting. With Russell Prue. www.festivalofeducation.com